welcome to the Fertility Conversations podcast. The goal of this podcast is to create more awareness about infertility and to provide support to people trying to conceive. Thank you for listening today, and we hope you will be encouraged. And now, here is your host, Ola. Welcome to another episode of uh, Fertility Conversations. Today, I'm joined by a lovely guest, Sonia Gibson Dixon, and she's the founder and executive director of LEND. Uh, Sonia is also a wife, mother, a teacher, author, and owner of Spoken Hearts LLC. She'll be telling us more about herself and all the amazing work she's doing in the community. Uh, she'll be sharing a bit about our fertility journey today and the inspiration behind starting LEND and all the advocacy work she's doing. So welcome, Sonia, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yay. So, Hi, hello everyone. My name is Sonia Gibson Dixon, and I am the founder and the executive director of Land, which stands for Let's End Neonatal Deaths. Um, I'm also a mother. I am a wife. I am a teacher. I am a author, and I'm also a small business owner. So the mission of Land, which is my nonprofit that I created, is to eradicate newborn and maternal diseases and demises that occur during pregnancy, childbirth, and also during the postpartum period. So our organization is looking to raise awareness, to promote education, and reduce infant and maternal mortality. Um, our organization also advocates for a society where all mothers and babies will have equal rights and opportunities for survival, improve access to high quality and effective health resources and treatments, as well as raising awareness about neonatal child loss um, and prevention through community international projects, lectures, and legislation. So thank you all wow. for having me and um, thank you for having me. Wow, thank you. Thank you for all the amazing work you're doing. Sounds really, really inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, since we have you here today, I mean, we obviously want to speak more about land and what you're doing. But uh, before that, uh, perhaps you want to share a bit about your fertility journey uh, with us as much or as little as you'd like to share. Yes, yes. So my fertility journey started way, way back. Um, actually, it started when I was 16 years old, but I actually didn't really realize that um, that was the start of a very interesting journey for me. Um, so at 16, um, my mother had to take me to the doctor because at, at that point, most young ladies have received a menstrual cycle and I had not received a menstrual cycle. So my mother took me to the hospital um, and the doctor induced my cycle, which is what they call it. And they gave me Provera, which is a um, a medication that assists with actually bringing your menstrual cycle down. Um, I was given that um, medication. I was not told why I had a delayed start to my menstrual cycle. Um, I wasn't given any awareness or education regarding what was going on with my body at the time. All I knew is that I was 16 years old and that I should have started a menstrual cycle and I had not started one. Um, so um, I kind of went on in my early adulthood life, um, just bringing my or inducing my menstrual cycle the same way. So, you know, I'll be 18 years old. When I was 18, I didn't have a cycle. I just thought it was normal to say, hey, I'll go to the doctor. Um, I don't have a, you know, I haven't had a menstrual cycle in three months. Can you please bring it down? I'm not really knowing at the time that um something was wrong with the fact that um, I had to have a medical assistance would actually assist in me with having a menstrual cycle. Um, But back in, in the day, and this was in the early 2000s, I don't think that the medical community was too informed um, 
um, regarding issues that impact the reproductive systems of young ladies. Mm -hmm. um, so I went on and um, I ended up becoming pregnant with my daughter in 2010. I mean, it's very interesting how I found out I was pregnant with her because um, once again, I've already spoken of my history of not having cycles, menstrual cycles, and I hadn't had a menstrual cycle in like five or six months. So in all actuality, when I was going to the doctor, I was not going to see if I was pregnant or even thinking I was pregnant. I actually was going again to ask the doctors, hey, I haven't had my cycle. I'm feeling a little cramping. Can you please give me Provera to bring my cycle down? Well, one time um, in 2010, when I went to the um, doctor, they told me, wait a minute, we can't give you Provera. You're actually pregnant. And I was totally uh -huh. caught off guard. I had not had a period in months. So I'm like, wait a minute. I thought you actually had to have a menstrual cycle in order to get pregnant. I did not know that women could still ovulate without actually having a cycle. So I became pregnant with my daughter in 2010. Um, and that pregnancy was... Um, Everything was fine with it, except um, there was one time when I was admitted into the emergency room um, because I was having an extreme amount of bleeding. And they um, had told me that it was a threatened miscarriage. Um, that's what the diagnosis was. When actual in actuality, it wasn't a threatened um, miscarriage. I found out later on that I had a subchorionic hematoma, which is basically wow. um, a bruising that um, women can sometimes have in the uterus or in the cervic cervical area that causes bleeding. Um, so I made it through my pregnancy, um, delivered my daughter at 40 weeks, full term, um, and I was excited about just um, being a mother. And for some time, I just took care of my daughter, and I wasn't really thinking about growing um, my family, but I married my husband in 2016. Um, and after we were married, we decided that we wanted to give it a try for another child. Um, I became pregnant very quickly. Um, I was married in September of 2016. I became pregnant in September of 2016. And during that pregnancy, um, I was extremely, extremely sick. So I had um, extreme vomiting. Um, I lost a lot of weight. I couldn't keep anything down. I also had a sub um, chorionic hematoma during that pregnancy. Um, and one day while I was at, um, I came home and I was just washing dishes, talking to my best friend. And I was 14 weeks pregnant and my water broke during that pregnancy. Um, and I knew that something was wrong because I know that um, a woman's water rupturing, that's something that occurs later in the pregnancy. Um, and I was rushed to the hospital and I end up finding out that my water had broke prematurely, which is premature rupture of the membranes, um, which is a um, condition that can impact women. Um, for a variety of different reasons. They weren't able to tell me why my water broke, but my water did break. Um, and unfortunately, my daughter, um, I had to deliver her and she was born um, and she was born, not, still born, not alive at 14 weeks pregnant. Um, uh, well, at 14 weeks. Um, so when I delivered her, the doctors, um, they didn't give me much feedback. They told me it was just a fluke. And to me, that to this day, that still does something to me just to hear that, like a fluke. Hey, you were just unlucky. Um, and that since I had my daughter for a term prior to in 2011, that I will be able to, you know, have her, I mean, have another baby and full term and shouldn't have any issues. This was just a one time thing. So um, I ended up getting pregnant. Well, I actually was attempting to get pregnant. So I lost my daughter in 2017 and I was attempting to get pregnant, but I was not getting pregnant. Um, and I didn't know at the time that um, I had PCOS. My previous doctor had noted that information inside of my chart when I lost my daughter. 
but I didn't read over it, honestly. I mean, I missed it. I did read over um all of the, well, most of the material that they gave me in reference to my daughter and her untimely demise. But somehow I had missed that. They had stated that they had saw that I had um cysts on my ovaries and they had diagnosed me with PCOS, which is something that the doctor did not talk to me about. So for um about two and a half years, I really struggled with secondary infertility, with trying to get pregnant um, with um, my rainbow baby. So in 2020, I did become pregnant um, and I was really excited. I made it past my 14 week, um, the 14 week stage, which is where I previously lost my other baby girl. Um, and well, even before I backtrack a little, because um, at that time, I mean, well, when during the second pregnancy, I actually ch um, changed physicians. I even changed my insurance. So I went up a notch on insurance because I wanted to make sure if anything happened during pregnancy that I would have optimal um, coverage. So I found another hospital to actually cover me, which is really interesting because the prior hospital that dealt with um, my daughter or my pregnancy when I lost my daughter at 14 weeks is a hospital that's located in a very influent area, is located mm -hmm. in the suburbs. Everyone raised and they talk about this hospital and all of the resources they have. Um, and I it was ironic because when I went to that hospital, I felt neglected. I felt like the physicians were not listening to me, um, that they weren't really explaining into detail what was happening with me. Um, and that left me a little bit confused. So after that process, I changed my insurance. I went up a notch and I decided to try a different hospital. And the hospital that I tried was located in an area that was not affluent. It's an area that is viewed as a very poverty stricken area. A lot of people look down on the hospital due to where it's located, but they have phenomenal physicians. So I decided that if I was ever going to get pregnant again, that I would take my chances with the new hospital, urban hospital in the city to allow them to treat me. So when I became pregnant again in 2020, um, everything was going fine into my 12-week ultrasound when um, my high-risk doctor told me that he could see that my cervix was starting to open prematurely already. And if anyone knows anything about um, your cervix opening or um, that's not supposed to occur, occur until you're towards the ending stages of labor. Well, my cervix has started to open at 12 weeks prematurely. So at that time, he pulled me in the office and we had um, a one-on-one -on -one honest conversation. Um, and he at that time said, whoa, wait a minute. He went over my history from my prior pregnancy. And he says, you have incompetent cervix. I'm surprised they didn't catch that at the last hospital to let you know that you have this extreme condition. And he spoke with me and he told me the um, methods or the ways that we can attempt to treat the condition. Um, and he recommended an emergency vaginal saclage. So my appointment was on that Wednesday. By that Saturday, I was having an emergency vaginal saclage. And I was in a whirlwind because I'm like, wait a minute. I have incompetent cervix. I don't even know what that is. I know my prior pregnancy, I lost my baby because of that. So, you know, I could have, it's a very strong chance that I could lose this baby as well. What's going on with me? I'm having an emergency surgery. I'm not really aware of anything that's going on. I was totally confused. Mm -hmm. So I did have the vaginal saclage and I had it placed. And the doctor and the hospital was excellent. They really attempted to support me really well. But at about 20 weeks, I noticed that I started to have leaking and it wasn't like my membranes had just ruptured like they did prior to the first time, just water everywhere. But I was having small leaking, um, which I was concerned about. 
And I went to the hospital and at first they told me that when they actually swabbed the actual vaginal fluid, that it was inconclusive. They couldn't tell me whether my water had started to break or anything like that. So I still had hope. Um, but maybe about my 21st week, I started to have more vaginal discharge, watery vaginal discharge. So I went to the hospital and they admitted me. And at that time, they had told me that my transvaginal saclage was failing. And my daughter, indeed, was her body. She was starting to come through the saclage. And although they've tried to give me this emergency um, treatment, that my cervix was so damaged in the inside that um, even with the vaginal saclage, I was not able to have my baby um, successfully. I was not able to carry her successfully. So I ended up going into labor at 22 weeks. Um, I delivered my daughter. Um, she was born living. Um, one of Both situations really just took everything from me. The second time, just to endure the first time and to manage and to function and to try to conceal my feelings of hurt and disappointment and pain and to be optimistic the next time and to do the exact same thing, um, it broke me. So I delivered my daughter at 22 weeks. She was born breathing. She lived for 30 minutes due to her being born at 22 weeks. At that time, they were not saving babies that were born that early. Now they're saving babies that are born that early. And when I see that, it's so bittersweet. I'm so happy for those mothers that, that deliver prematurely and their 22-weekers are able to survive and have minimum um, complications. And But when I see it sometimes in my mind, I'm like, wow, you know, if only science and doctors had believed then, they could have saved my little girl as well. So my daughter, Noelle Grace Dixon, um, she ended up being born. Um, she lived for 30 minutes and she didn't pass. After her death, um, I really battled. I was a teacher. I faced my losses in front of a lot of people, in front of my students. Um, I'm in a sorority. I'm a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Um, I faced my losses in front of my sorority sisters, in front of um I just feel my society, everyone. I was on social media. I had told everyone I was pregnant. I released um, pregnancy promos and pictures and information all um, on social media. So the fact that I had endured a second loss and I mean, everyone knew I was pregnant the first time. Um, The second time I actually endured that loss and a lot of people did not know because I was so humiliated with the way that I had to endure in front of the public the first time that I really, um, I, I kept it private. The second time, but there were people that knew. So after that, um, I spoke with my doctors. And even though I had had a loss, my second loss, my first loss, I felt like I failed. I felt like a failure. I felt like no hope. My second loss, although I had failed, I felt like I won. Because the the medical team that I had was so amazing. They had gave me a diagnosis. So at least I know, hey, it's not a fluke. There's something medically wrong with me. And there's a reason why I'm not able to carry my baby. So I walked away with an incompetent cervix diagnosis. I walked away with a one-on-one, true, raw, transparent um, conversation with my high-risk doctor that told me, if you ever want to carry another living baby again, you are going to have to get a transabdominal saclage. If you don't get a transabdominal saclage, you're going to have to think about surrogacy. And if you don't choose any of those options, there's no way you're ever going to bring a living baby into this world again. So with that information, um, I ended up doing research and my co-founder was in a group on Facebook for women that dealt with incompetent cervix. And in that group, I found an amazing doctor named Dr. Haney. He was located in Chicago. 
Um, I'm currently, I currently reside in Cadenceville, Maryland, but I am a native of Chicago, Illinois. So I'll say I went home. I had my village, my husband, my daughter travel with me. But when I went home, my mother, my father, my siblings, my entire family was there to wrap me in love. I went and I received the trans abdominal saclage prior to pregnancy. So therefore, if I was pregnant, I did not have to worry about rushing to get a saclage or the risk of miscarriage, a small miscarriage risk that is associated with getting the, saclage, the trans abdominal saclage while pregnant. Um, I received the saclage. Um, and throughout, um, I received the saclage and I attempted to get pregnant. I did an IUI cycle with my husband. I was not successful. Um, I battled high um, functioning depression. And I, I feel like I battled that the entire time. So despite going through all these things, um, I still was pushing through. I started my organization in the middle, in the height of my reproductive struggles and trying to manage and deal with my loss. Um, because I said, well, I have a village and I have people that love me and they're here and they're supporting me. But I can imagine those women that don't have these resources. And another thing that I noticed is that I was in a lot of groups and there were a lot of support um, and there is a need for diversity. But in most of those groups, there were a lot of women that were not of color supporting other women buying meals from women that had had losses or miscarriages, sending them care packages, just supporting them. And what I noticed is that there was a lack of support for women of color um, in those particular spaces. And not saying that though um, the individuals of other races did not support women of color because they did, but I noticed that women of color being able to support other women that look like them that have endured the things, there was not a lot of that. So that is why in the height of Everything I was going through, and some people may think like, you're crazy, like you're struggling to get pregnant. You're dealing with PCOS, secondary infertility. You're having babies, you're losing babies. You're having multiple surgeries. I had to transabdominal supply surgery. After that, I had to have a scar tissue um, removal surgery. Someone would think, how dare you? Or how do you even get the room to try to focus on another woman and their struggles when you're struggling? But that's what God called me to do. Um, so a little in 2021, I did become pregnant with my transabdominal saclage. I was really excited, but I ended up losing the baby. I had a chemical pregnancy. I, and at that point, after that loss, I was just like, you know what? Maybe it's just not meant for me to have more than one child. I had my daughter for a term, no complications. Um, I went through that pregnancy. She's well. Maybe I should just be grateful for what I've received, you know, and stop putting pressure on myself. And there are some women um, and, and my heart breaks for them that they just never even get a living child. So my head is like, just stop. You're becoming manic with this. So I, I did stop attempting to get pregnant. And in June of 2021, I found out I was pregnant with my daughter naturally, which was a shocking to me because I battled with PCOS, a thin um, endometrial uh, uh, lining. Um, so many things have stopped me um, from getting to my rainbow, but I got pregnant with my rainbow baby. Um, I did have, um, I would not say that the pregnancy was not, it was definitely high risk. I had 35 high risk doctor appointments. I had 21 weekly visits from a home healthcare nurse that came and gave me a mechanic shot, which was a shot to make sure I didn't go into preterm labor. During that time, they also found out I had a fibroid, which I wasn't aware of, that was kind of growing, that they wanted to watch and make sure wasn't given uh, or wouldn't cause any issues to the baby. And I even caught the Delta variant of COVID-19 while pregnant. So I had a lot of obstacles and things thrown at me. But what I will say is I 
successfully made it through all of those hurdles. And in fact, all of this is documented on our land Instagram. So at land, L-E-N dot N-O-W on Instagram and land now on Facebook, people can actually see actual video vlogs of me talking about these different things. But on March 6, 2022, I'll say my struggle with fertility ended and I gave birth to my rainbow baby via C-section. And I had to have a C-section because I have a transabdominal saclage and women that have those forms of saclages cannot give birth vaginally. It was a lot. <laughs> I was like, I'm still here. I'm still standing. And I had to film it. And I show it on my page because when I tell so many people, it's so hard to believe. But I lived it. And I have the proof that I lived it and I overcame it. So now that I've overcome, I want to educate women on the many reproductive issues that may um, arise during their pregnancies or um, when, when they're pregnant, prior to pregnancy, because I feel like I've dealt with it on each stage. Pre-pregnancy, I battle with secondary infertility. I know what it's like to want to get a positive pregnancy test and not receive it and month after month, try to figure out what's wrong with you. During pregnancy, I, I battled literally incompetent cervix, trying to make sure I didn't get premature rupture of the membranes again. I'm a hypermesis gravidum. I was very sick. I, I vomited the entire time. I had COVID-19 and post-pregnancy after I had my baby, and I know it sounds crazy, but during all of this, I did not receive any counseling at all. I'll be honest. I really believe in God. I love God, but I was angry at God. I could not open my mouth to say a thing to God. After I had my second loss, I, I could not pray. I wanted to pray. I could not even walk past baby owls when I was pregnant because I felt like if I open my mouth even to God and speak on this, that it will be taken away. And some days I would be in my house and God would know even when during my pregnancy, I would cry in the shower. I'm so angry at you because why me? And God would say, why not? So after I had my daughter, one would think, oh, she had a rainbow baby. Everything is fine. I had to do extreme intensive counseling so I can assist women in the postpartum sector because I had postpartum depression. And it wasn't like, oh, well, she's sad about being a mother. I was a manic. I could not sleep. The last two babies I bought home were in a box and I had a chemical pre pregnancy. The last three babies I lost. Is this baby breathing? What's going on? I could not sleep. My nerves were on edge. I had lost so many people I loved during my pregnancy, my grandmother, my uncle. I did not grieve their losses. I put it in the back of my head because I said, if I deal with this, I'm going to break. I have to be a mother. I, I'm a teacher. I, there are so many roles I have to play. And I put my feelings and my emotions on the back burner. And I, now that I've gone through it, I would never encourage a woman to, to take my route. Because the route that I took, I thank God I was strong enough for, but not every woman is. And I think it's important that you're not ashamed. And while you're going through issues, whether it's post-pregnancy, while you're pregnant or postpartum, that you are receiving support, that you are going to a counselor, that you do have someone letting you know that you're enough, that it's not your fault, that you, you know, that there's awareness, there are resources. Um, so I made it and I thank God I made it, but th the way that I took could be very dangerous for other women. So I would never encourage them to sit, just wait it out and then get the help. There's help. There's resources for you to get right now while you're going through anything that you're going through. Thank you so much. I mean, first I do want to say I'm so sorry for your losses. Listening to you, I couldn't hold back the tears. I just, 
I just couldn't imagine how that must have felt. And it's just, it's just a blessing that you're here, mm -hmm. alive and well, and that you have your rainbow baby as well. Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful that you chose as well to share your story and to start this, uh, to start learn to help other people. Because again, this is happening to so many people. And mm -hmm. of course, in your case, you had your first baby at full term. There was no problem. Everything was perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, so why would anyone think something would go wrong potentially the, the next time, mm -hmm. you know, and then another time. So it's just amazing to have you share your story. Did, did mm -hmm. it ever tell you what could have caused it? I mean, considering that everything was fine the first time. Yes. Yeah, so I actually have on um, our social media pages, I have Dr. Haney explaining my transabdominal saclage and the procedure. But what they are believing that happened is that I had a long stage of labor with my daughter. So some people kind of, you know, women, they that's something women talk about. How long were you in labor? Nine mm. hours. Um, I was in 24. I was in labor for 24 hours. And, you know, we kind of talk about that and we share that. But the longer that you're in labor, it increases your risk of your cervix being damaged. So for me, it was a stalled labor. I was just having a natural vaginal labor with my daughter and it was taking too long for me to deliver her. And due to me pushing um, and extreme pushing, I had cervical damage. And in the video, the doctor says there's no way that you could ever know, a doctor would ever be able to predict that the next time I got pregnant, that I will lose each baby each time because cervical, cervical incompetence is not something that you can truly see. Um, you can sometimes see it. Some women are born with short cervix, um, of short cervix so they can have a preventive checkup prior to being um, pregnant. But the terrible thing about this condition is that most of the time it sneaks up on women. So it's like a silent, I call it a silent assassin because one minute you're carrying your baby and everything is fine in your pregnancy. And the next minute you're being told you're about to deliver prematurely because your cervix is literally open to the point where your baby's falling out. So I really advocate for women to know and to not be gullible like me or naive and to assume just because you did it once, you can do it again. Mm -hmm. Every pregnancy is different. And your body changes. Your body, the body that you have this year is not the same body you had last year. And it won't be the same body you have the next year. But we don't have microscopic tubes where we can look inside of our body and see these changes. So I advocate and I am don't come to I don't want to scare a woman, but I want everyone to know that you have to be aware, you have to have the knowledge that you need because anything could go wrong in any pregnancy at any time. And you could lose your baby in your life. I almost died in one of those pregnancies. And luckily, I had a extreme hemorrhaging after birth um, because I was not able to deliver my placenta. And that caused a lot of problems. Um, but my doctors, my team, they, they work really hard. I'm very grateful for my team. And I will always say research, uh, research, research doctors, research facilities, and never judge a book by its cover. Because if I would have judged the book by a cut based color, I would have assumed that the first hospital that I went to that was in this affluent area, and I wanted to be clear, I'm an educated woman, several master degrees, I'm a teacher, I have top-notch insurance, but I went to a hospital in an affluent area and I was ignored and I lost my baby. So never assume just because you have a job or you have incredible insurance or you're rich or you're in the upper class that this cannot happen to you. It's happened to Serena Williams, who's always who's almost lost her life when she after she delivered via C-section. It happens to so many successful women and they don't talk about it, but they lose their lives. 
So I want people to know it's not, if, and unfortunately you're born with black, brown skin, black skin, you're three times to four times more likely to die in childbirth. There is a much higher risk of you losing your baby. And economics does not change that. The only thing that can change that is awareness, is education, is advocacy. And then we can use that advocacy, that education and awareness to change laws. But at this point, due to how extreme a lot of reproductive issues are that affect women of color, we have to be the voices. We have to speak. We have to share our stories. Our organizations have to push forward in order for them to pay attention to us. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us more about the advocacy work? I mean, you shared some of it in terms of raising awareness and creating education as well. But some of the advocacy work you're doing in terms of raising awareness about pregnancy loss and also your work towards uh, eradicating neonatal and maternal mortalities. Yes, so absolutely. So we've done amazing things with PCOS awareness. And um, we had a virtual campaign called the Sisters Campaign. And, and women that have PCOS have cysts. So we called it the Sisters Campaign. And it was an international campaign. We had women from all over the world sharing their PCOS stories. We partnered with um, Tiana Trinidad, who is a registered RN nurse, and she also is a PCOS um, hormone, hormone awareness coach. And she, we partnered with her and gave a free consultation to a young woman that was dealing with PCOS that could not afford to actually meet with the doctor to speak about um, what recommendations are for treatment and for diet. Um, so that was really amazing. We had a lot of women come forward and I was shocked because there were a lot of women that were stating, hey, I have PCOS. And, um, you know, thank you for speaking out, being bold enough, being transparent enough to actually share it. I know in October, we did a virtual candle lighting ceremony for women that have dealt with pregnancy loss. And we sent the, um, the women poems and also sent them seeded butterfly papers with a poem related to butterflies, where they can actually plant the butterfly um, seeded paper and grow a flower in memory of their baby. Um, during that month um, was one of my, rain well, one of my, not my rainbow babies, but one of my angel babies' birthdays. So we also gave away two urns to two families that that were um that unfortunately dealt with child loss but had to actually cremate their babies as well. Um, we've done um dinners for well, Thanksgiving dinners, um, giveaways for women who are in the hospital due to premature rupture of the membranes. And this condition requires women to be on childbirth to ensure the health of their babies. Um, so, and that was in November. We've also given away fetal Dopplers. Um, is, and I did that in um, honor of my one of my angel babies born in February because when she was born, her heart was not beating. And I never want a mother to ever have to just deal with the pain of not knowing whether her child's heart is beating. So we gave that away and actually excited to say that one of the women we gave it to, um, she delivered her baby and she delivered her very prematurely, but her daughter did survive and she has no medical complications. So she made a nice, amazing post thanking us for just being able to give her comfort on top of the other issues that um, she dealt with. Um, we did, um, we partnered with Dr. Maya, who is a fertility coach. 
um, and she gave a free consultation to a woman that is dealing with um, fertility related issues, um, mm -hmm. just telling them what the next step should be in order for them to be able to have that journey of motherhood. Um, and we also um, partner with Sherelle Gibbert. She is a lifestyle influencer and content creator who her entire, um, well, most of her entire page is dedicated to her fertility journey. So it was really exciting um, to hear and talk with her and share more about her journey. Um, we partner with grief coaches. Mm -hmm. So we have worked with Tiny Hearts Remembered. We've worked with them as well as um, Alicia, who's a grief coach, um, to recommend other women to the actual um, sessions that they have, the Zoom sessions related to loss. Um, because one thing about our organization, I'll say, is that we won't gatekeep, which means that we're touching all of the areas in maternal and neonatal um, communities. But if we know someone of color that is really doing an amazing job in that area, we definitely want to send our audience to them. Yes. So, for example, for March, it's Endometrius Awareness Month, and we did acknowledge it. However, we let Indo Black, who has an amazing organization, she took up everything endometriosis awareness, and we decided to make March our cervical uh, incompetent cervix awareness month because they only have a day for that. And I don't think one day is enough no. to focus on the numerous amounts of women that deal and endure with this condition and lose babies as a result. Um, so we've partnered with Vagesty. We've had a lot of partners. We partnered with Vagesty and we've um, given away fem um, feminine um, period panties for women um, or a woman that may have extreme discharge during pregnancy. Um, and this month we're having an actual watch party also where we're going to C-section awareness, awareness month. So we're doing a lot of things this month. We're now focusing on Black Maternal Health Awareness Week. And our focus, which has to some maybe, I'll say trigger warning, is this entire week we have been sharing facts and information about um, women of color that have lost their lives as a result of maternal neglect or bias. And we're showing that, and some people may say, hey, ooh, this makes me uncomfortable to see and read about a woman that's lost her life, but you should feel uncomfortable because every day women of color are living in discomfort and they're losing their babies. So you need, the community needs to see the shock value. You need to see women that look like you, that look like your mother, that look like your sister, that had that, that lived a life of joy and was excited about motherhood and it was snatched away due to medical neglect. So the entire, this week is what we're focusing on with that. We're going to follow up with National Infertility Week, then hop back into cesarean awareness. Um, so we have some amazing things going on and behind the scenes, some legislative things so that we're able to actually work with some insurance companies and also Congress to be able to make a few changes that we need here um, to serve women. Well done, sis. Amazing. Oh, <laughs> Just thank incredible you. listening to all the amazing work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for making this, for, make, for being so passionate about making a change and creating awareness. You're helping so many people. You're touching so many lives globally. You have no idea. So thank you for all that you're doing. No and for anyone listening, for anyone watching and wanting to support you, how can they support you? Um, they can support um, me by finding me at land, now land now l e n d dot now on Instagram and then land now on Facebook. We do have our official website. We're in the process of re revamping some things, but that's www.landnow.org. Um, and we would love for you all to come and just support and share posts and engage with us and participate and 
some of the giveaways and the engagement that we have going on to increase awareness because um, the most important thing is advocacy and having the education that you need to be able to get through. And for me, I say I'm a damn good earthly mother. I'm an excellent mother to my two daughters that I have here. And I feel like I have no choice but to give because no matter what, I have my rainbow baby and people think too, oh, you have your rainbow baby. Everything's fine. Every holiday, every night, there will always be. My daughters are missing. They had lives. I have memories of them. I have boxes with their ashes. They lived. So even though I have my rainbow baby, I have to make sure that I let them know that your lives were not in vain. You you lived and you died, but another baby is going to live because you died. And that's is what pushes me. I don't receive a dime. I'm not getting paid. Our nonprofit, everything is free. When we partner with individuals, um, honestly, we don't partner with organizations that want to be paid. Because our goal is to give, we want to give free knowledge, free resources, free consultations. Um, and if if anyone wants to be paid from that, unfortunately, there is a, um, I'll say a lane for them, but that's not our lane. We want to let people know that we're here giving free resources, free information. And all you have to do is just take advantage. Well done. Thank mm -hmm. you so much, Sonia. Speaking more about incompetent service, uh, a little bit more about that. I know that you, sometimes people say that infections can cause it. Uh, can you share some of the things people can look out for? Or how, or how can anyone check to see if that's something they're dealing with? Or how can anyone also prevent or minimize the chances of getting infections during pregnancy? Yes, so there are some infections that can cause, I'll say, not incompetent cervix, but premature rupture of the membranes, which is right. tied, most of the time tied to incompetent cervix. And a lot of those infections include vaginal infections, like yeast infections that get out of control, bacteria vaginosis. Um, women should know that if you're ever having discharge that is yellow or green, um, please be concerned if you're ever, and, and most of the time, honestly, you should really be concerned if you're having green discharge because that can be a sign of bacterial vaginosis, excuse me, or when your water breaks, when people waters break, they don't know that sometimes it's a green discharge in there. So you're assuming that, hey, my water's breaking, it's going to be clear like they show in the movies. That's not really realistic. Um, so women should look out for things of that nature. They should try to, try to stay on top of their vaginal health by taking probiotics. Um, I would say and with incompetent cervix, it's a little bit different because it's not something you see. Sometimes you may have abdominal pain or cramping, but I would recommend asking my doctor every time I met the doctor, hey, have you checked on my cervix? Can you tell me what is my cervical length? Is my cervical length over 2.5? If it's not over 2.5, what are some preventive measures we should start to take now that you're seeing my cervix shortening? Can you give me vaginal progesterone, which is studies have shown it stops your cervix from shortening? If I have an extreme case, is there any way that I may be able to get um, progesterone in a shop form? Are you how often are you checking my cervix? Are you, every time I'm coming to the doctor and you're doing those ultrasounds, are you able to see that my cervix is intact? And if not, what can we do about it? Because most of the time, and sometimes there will be medical professionals that will see that your cervix is shortening on the ultrasound. And sometimes for whatever unknown reason, they will not let you know that vital information. So it's important that you know, when I was pregnant, even after I had my first daughter, so ignorant, I didn't even know what a cervix was. 
I didn't even know it played a role in getting my first daughter here um, safely. I learned this after I had my losses. So let's start off with first, what is your cervix? Lady, yeah. know what your cervix is. Know the role. Then start to ask, can my cervix hold my baby? How do I know? And then I would say definitely check in with those medical professionals. And if you have someone that's dismissing you, then you get a new doctor because you are paying your doctors. And your relationship with your doctor should always be a partnership. And if it just feels like a dictatorship and your concerns are being ignored, you do have the right. Do not be afraid. You do have the option to switch doctors and find someone that is going to listen to you and that is going to advocate for you saving your baby just as much as you. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's so important that we're educated about body parts, mm -hmm. like you said, and also advocate for ourselves. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And we still say that one in four pregnancies or even more and in loss. And yet pregnancy losses are still so much taboo and stigmas surrounding it. Do you have, a, what's your opinion about why is that still happening? Why do people still, why is there still so much taboo attached to it? I know, for example, in Nigeria, people look at it as well. Firstly, people ask, ask like it's so common. So it's not a big deal. Uh, people seem to not think that uh, babies and pregnancy as equally important as children that are currently here on earth. I don't think people realize the hopes and dreams are attached to a pregnancy and the hopes for that baby or babies. So people are quite dismissive. Um, but there's still so much taboo attached to it. People don't want to take, people don't want to tell you that they had a pregnancy loss. There's so much shame attached to it. They think they did something wrong. Uh, you know, their body failed them. So as a result, they're not woman enough or whatever society has been feeding their minds with. So why is this so, so much taboo and what can we do to change this, to normalize this conversation, to create more support? I mean, you're doing amazing work already in terms of raising mm -hmm. awareness and educating people. Uh, but just for anyone listening, what can we do? Well, for one thing, I think that we can end the cultural stipulations and judgments associated, especially for women of color, because I know for women of color, we are taught that the strong black woman, mm. you are forced to be so strong and conceal so many emotions and feelings, whether it's in the professional world, whether it's in your personal world, you can't hurt. You're not supposed to have pain. You're supposed to endure. And a lot of us have, we've actually taken on this character. Um, and it's been passed on from our mothers and our great-grandmothers that have shown us strength even through pain and extreme suffering. And I think that we feel that that's normal, that we're supposed to be strong. We can't break down. We can't pe let people know that we feel weak. I can't let a person know I'm having a down moment because I'm supposed to be this strong Black woman that is supposed to be able to endure anything and just not feel any pain. And I know here in America, we have a cultural saying well, for African-Americans or people of color that what happens in this house stays in this house. <laughs> yeah. You don't dare go outside of this house to tell anyone anything personal that's going on. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also played a role in women suffering in silence. Like how dare me go out and tell what's going on in my household? People would view me as a failure. What would they think of my husband? How would they judge us? So those are two terrible things that I think have led the way for women of color to actually suffer in silence. But an amazing quote that I've heard from Michelle Obama is that some of the worst things that we can do to women is that like one of the worst things is that we don't talk about our bodies and how they work and how sometimes they don't work. And that's the reality. 
So I think it is going to require um, women and everyone, and I don't want to say everyone is not going to be a child loss advocate, even though they've endured this, a maternal or a neonatal loss advocate. But some of us are called and some of us are called to heal in public so others can heal in private. So I think it's going to require people that are that people don't naturally think will go through this. So I'm saying Beyonce, she's beautiful. She's a celebrity. She's rich. She's stating that she's dealt with child loss. For me, kind of in my own world, my friends that say, oh, well, she's in the sorority. She has a husband. She has a family. She's a teacher. She's beautiful. And why would she go through that? Well, why would I not? So it involves women of all statues to be able to come out in all areas. So if you're rich, middle class, poor, to be able to speak, to be able to be personable and to know that it happens to beautiful women. It happens to women in sororities. It happens to women that work. It happens to women that don't work. It happens to women. I have PCOS. Most, most people think people that have PCOS are on the heavier side. I'm lean. I have PC It happens to women that are um, lean. It happens to women that are skinny. It happens to women of all walks of life. So it's important for me to be able to show, yes, I can come on here and have my Louis Vuitton and my hair is done and I can look cute. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I've dealt with incompetent cervix, okay? I've dealt with secondary fertility, PCOS. I've lost the baby. And so I want people to know that it's not a certain look, but you have to also be confident in knowing that you're not the only one dealing with this. And you have to come out and be honest because sometimes people may judge a person and say PCOS looks like a heavy set woman. No, a PCOS looks like a woman like me that's pretty lean, that I wear a crop top, but in the inside, my body is going crazy. Fibroids may look like a woman, a woman like me that I may carry a Valentino purse, but in the inside, I have a fibroid that's growing. So I think that's very important. And we have to be able to put a face to some of these things and allow other women to know, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, that there's a woman that is going through what you're going through. Thank you for sharing. So important. Mm -hmm. And before we wrap up, for any man or woman or a couple, I included men in this because they're also impacted by loss. Absolutely. For anyone that is experiencing competent cervix or had a baby loss as a result of this or any other reason, what would you like to say to them? I will say, don't give up. You and your family are not the only family in doing what you're going through. I would say I'm very religious, but I would tell you that faith without works is dead. You're dealing with incompetent cervix. This is not a condition that you're going to pray away, but God can, you can pray and God can give you the knowledge to lead you to the people that can assist you and yeah. being able to receive treatment for this condition. Because before I lost my, well, before I had my second loss, I was just praying, God, please let me get pregnant. Please let me get pregnant. I get pregnant. I know I'll be able to carry the baby. That's what made me so angry with God because I prayed, prayed, prayed. And I felt like my prayers were missing. They were going up, but they were not being heard. But my second time around, God is telling me, you're praying, but faith without works is dead. You're praying to me, but now I need you to listen to the resources that I'm going to direct you to so you can receive the actual treatment that you need to be able to get over this hump. So although I am a advocate for God and praying, when you're dealing with reproductive struggles, this is not something you're going to pray away. There is a reason that you are going through what you are going through. There's a, a diagnosis that can be given to you to let you know what your body's enduring. And there are treatments that can be given to you. 
So yes, what I'll tell you to do, pray, absolutely, but pray and ask God to direct you to the resources that you need to get through. Whether you're a woman that has never been pregnant and you're trying to become pregnant, you're dealing with infertility, you're a woman that's enduring pregnancy and you're going through a related a pregnancy-related condition or even a woman going through postpartum. You pray, but you pray to have the strength to endure what you're going through and pray that God sends you the resources in the village and the people that you need so that you're able to overcome whatever situation that you're dealing with. I would also like to uplift the man. I know my husband, um, he dealt with all of my struggles, reproductive struggles and losses with me. Um, and oftentimes men are ignored. I want you to know that as a man, that you, your your feelings are valid, your emotions are valid, and there are there is support out there for you as well. And if you feel like you need any support, mental health therapy, or anything to assist you in upholding yourself and the woman that you love in your family, and it may not be your spouse, it could be your sister, it could be your cousin, it could be a friend. If you feel like you need additional resource to help you navigate. So that you're able to help someone else that you love navigate, ask for those resources. And I'll say the number one thing, do the research. There are so many organizations out here with people that look like you that are going through what you're going through that have lots of resources. Fertility grants for women that are looking to get pregnant, fertility grants up to $20,000 that can assist in egg preservation, IUI, IVF adoption, surrogacy, I'll say do the research and don't be ashamed because what you're going through is tough, but there's someone else going through it. And one day you will be over the hurdle. And I will say, if you, even if you feel like you don't want to say it out loud, find a way to give back, whether that is just texting a resource to a woman that you know that may be in need or whether that's referring her to somebody that you know can assist her because she's too ashamed to speak up. But there are resources out here and there are many more because when I was going through this, I didn't really have any resources. I did have the Sister-in-Law's podcast, which I was on and I talk about, I spoke on my journey, but I, I didn't find a safe place. So if you feel like after all your research and you don't find a safe place, you create one, which is exactly what I did. Thank you so much, Sonia. Thank you. I mean, all of you listening to you, it's just, I can listen to you all day. I, I cannot, I mean, the passion that that you hear, you know, coming out from your words, listening to you and how you just want to help people. You just want to encourage, support others, educate others. That is just amazing. It's really inspiring all the amazing work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for choosing to, to do this, to share your story because really there's so many people i watched your uh, facebook live as well with dr sumners and the stage i know he's one of the really uh specialists in this uh area with tac and surgery so and so many people watch those across i mean across the globe i mean in company savings impact so many people globally and it's videos like yours it's uh foundations like yours that inspire people that let people know what to do that there are options because when things like that happen to you you just feel so helpless mm -hmm. but then when you see a video from you watch your video you sharing your story you know that there is hope that somebody else has dealt with this and there is an option there are options out there so thank you for all that you're doing you you're might not proud. realize how many lives you're touching but you are touching so many lives globally so thank you for all that you're doing i know i have been inspired and you know, I know people listening and watching this today have been inspired and encouraged by all the work that you're doing. 
thank you so much, Sonia. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I know you said thank you for choosing. I felt like God chose for me. I did not. If I had to choose a route, I was like, wait a minute, why me, God? It was so many nights I cried and I asked God, why me? And I would sit back and I'd hear him say, well, why not? Like, why not you? Like, what makes you exempt from going through these struggles and getting over them and then using your testimony to help other women? So I just know how dark I felt and how hopeless I felt. And I would never want to see another woman endure that. And if I can help one woman, and I feel like that, I know I've saved babies. I have so many inboxes from women that are telling me my journey is and it's inspiring them. I'm referring them to different tag doctors, telling them about different signs. I know I'm saving lives. So what I went through, it was tough, but it was not in vain. So anything that I could do to ensure that another mother and baby, in particular, another Black mother and baby, because our Black women and our babies are dying and they're dying every day and nobody is speaking up and everybody is afraid to say what the real truth is. But the reality is if if not us, then who? Mm -hmm. If we don't bring and provide the resources, then who's going to take care of the mothers and babies? And I'm in so many groups and it breaks my heart because I'm in incompetent service groups and there are women every day losing their babies because they don't have insurance. That is why they don't, they can't afford the $20,000 surgery that I had that my insurance had. And they're losing baby back to back to back. And that's what the legislation is being worked on. No, there are going to be some changes internationally with the way that they handle mothers and babies, in particular, Black mothers and babies, because we matter and our lives matter. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And thank you for highlighting the fact that it's good for us to pray, but to also seek help. Because again, I think that's um, that does impact a lot of people. Because again, we're, I think for whatever reason, the fertility space, people s- seem to think that you, you only need prayers and not to seek help. And mm-hmm. perhaps seeking help, it's going against God. So thank you for reminding us that we can do both, that we can pray, but it's also important that we seek the help that we need. Yes, again, and, and God will love you. And he won't love you any less and he will hear you and what your prayers are and he will give you those things. So don't feel shame and don't feel like you're not going against God. You're coming to him and you're asking him for the help. And if you sit quietly, you will listen and you will hear and you will do the research and you will find amazing organizations and doctors and individuals that can assist you. But I definitely have to say that because in the black community that we we love, we are, we love God. But we have been taught in church that mental health, different things you're going through, you could just pray it away. Mm. There's some things you can't pray away. You can pray to receive answers and assistance with, but there are some things that you're going to need help with. And honestly, I will say you open your mouth, you speak, you tell God what you want, what what your goal is, what is your end goal? Because everyone, and 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 that's what I say, I, I was grateful for my prayer warriors because they were uplifting me when God knew my anger. God knew my anger, because I, I would be real honest with God. Very angry with you. Don't want to think about it. Don't want to even hear it. Don't care. But it's important that you, you have a village around you and that you understand prayer is good and it can uplift you. But there are some things that you're not going to be able to pray away. And I know it because I said and tried to. There are some things you're going to have to honestly face the real reality of. You're going to have to sit with. But don't ever, ever in this world let anybody tell you that it's a fluke or it just happened. Everything in this world happens for a reason. 
and you dig into the bottom until you figure out what that reason is. Well said. Thank you so much, Sonia. It's been amazing having you on here. Thank you for Thank what you're you. doing. All your details in terms of your website, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, the links would also be in the show notes so people can reach yeah. out to you for support and connect and support your foundation and organization and all that you're doing. So thank you so much for joining us today and we look forward to having you again in the near future. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. And anyone that's listening, please don't feel shy. Send me a DM. I actually had someone send me a DM internationally from another country and I responded. And she said, oh my God, I'm shocked you even responded. No, that's why we're here. So please, if you come across anything that you have questions about or any resources, if our organization is not doing it, we've established some amazing partners. So we can probably link you up to someone that can assist you. So we can, we will try our best to help you in any way we can. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much, you. Sonia. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us this week on the Fertility Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Fertility Conversations. If there are any topics you would like to have discussed, please send an email to fertilityconversations at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you again for listening. Take care of yourself and do stay hopeful.